Sorry about that. Good morning, church, uh, once again. And uh, we are in the last of a four-week series on the book of Hosea. We titled it, uh, as that last uh, uh, hymn has said, uh, Grace Will Lead Us Home. And uh, the book of Hosea is a book that is all about God's grace. And we're so glad that you're joining us uh, today, whether you're online or uh, in person. Uh, Hosea is a story of a broken-hearted God who decides to, to do something with that pain. And sometimes in the book of Hosea, we'll see God as, as a distressed husband, uh, just like uh, Hosea, the, the, the human prophet, feels with, uh, over the betrayal of his wife. But then there are other times in the book of Hosea where God's not so much a distressed husband as a distressed parent. And that's what we're going to see today as we open our Bibles to Hosea chapter 11. Love for you to have that passage in front of you. Uh, I want you to note as we prepare to read Hosea 11 that uh, this uh, entire chapter is written in the first person. Uh, it is God who speaks directly to us through uh, the prophet Hosea today. And so I want you to hear what our broken-hearted God has to say to each one of his wayward children. So Hosea chapter 11, will begin in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt? And will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? The sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their false prophets and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even though they call me God most high, I will by no means exalt them. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt trembling like sparrows. From Assyria fluttering like doves. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. How many of you have old school photo albums at your house? I, I, I think they may be going out of, out of style, but, uh, but, but we have them, and I, you know, I was glad to see several hands. Uh, uh, my parents kept quite a few around, and, uh, uh, and what the photos that weren't in um, 
Albums were in shoeboxes, kind of waiting to make their way to albums. And in, I'm so old that uh, in, in my pictures of my kind of early childhood that uh, it seems like the developers would do a really cool thing. They would put, I believe, the month and the year at the very bottom of the photo, which is incredibly helpful. And my mom was always really good about writing names and dates and occasions on the backs of the photos. And, and sometimes, you know, as adults, my siblings and I like to pull out uh, those old photo albums. And I thought uh, as an exercise of humility or humiliation, I would show you some of mine. Little Larry was not very happy about getting his picture taken that day. In a little bit of a Captain Kirk phase too. I'm not, not sure about that. Let's go to the next one. This was uh, Easter of 1976. That's my brother and I, uh, my sister, we were, uh, my brother and I were very excited about showing off our new leisure suits. Uh, and I want you to notice the wingspan uh, on my brother's shirt here. Of course, I had the same thing. It's just a, a bad angle. Uh, those, those were the bright years. And then, uh, well, the next one is sort of the sullen teenage <laughs> years. Yeah, everybody was growing their hair long, you know, like all the rock stars, and so I just, I'm just gonna grow my hair long, but it, it, it went long, uh, it went long like that. So, you know, as my siblings and I look back on those old photos, you know, uh, we don't know really sometimes whether to, to cringe or to brag about those, you know, garish bell-bottom uh, pants and satiny shirts with the long collars, you know, and, and uh, it's kind of fun. We have a lot of laughs when we look at old photos, but you probably have experienced the other side of that too. Sometimes old photos don't always bring you joy, do they? If you've ever put photos together for a slideshow for a funeral, uh, you know that those photos can be kind of a bittersweet exercise. And when I first read uh, today's passage, Hosea chapter 11, uh, the image of a photo album came to me. And I don't think I'm out on a limb because later as I looked at commentaries, several commentators used the same image. And that is that there's almost a sense when we read Hosea chapter 11 that we are looking at our heavenly father's photo album of us. Certainly of Israel, but I think by extension us as well. We are turning through the laminated pages of a photo album. And, and this photo album is a little different, our Heavenly Father's, because God knows all, God sees all. Uh, Psalm 139 says there's nowhere that we can escape God's presence. And so all of our photos are there, the beautiful ones and the not so beautiful ones. And I want us to see this morning what we can learn about God and about Israel, but even more about God and us, as we turn the pages of God's photo album. And we're gonna begin uh, as chapter 11 begins. We're gonna begin with, with kind of the early years of God and Israel. And like a lot of photo albums, those early years are, are years of holy possibilities. Uh, as, as I mentioned, uh, often when you, when you look at an old school photo album, the very first pages are, are baby pictures, aren't they? Um, they're they're the, the, the very first pictures of our lives on this earth. And, and I almost sense that's what's happening in verse 1 as God looks back on his early days with the nation of, of Israel 
God says, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. In the, in the early story of Israel, Israel spent 400 years in captivity. And so you, when you see that word Egypt, don't just think of a country, but think of a, a code word for, for slavery. And God called his people out of slavery in Egypt. I don't know about you, but I just think there's so much tenderness there, isn't there? I mean, when Israel was a child, right? I loved him, I called him out. One commentator, uh, a guy named John Goldengate, compares uh, this verse to an adoptive couple that goes to an orphanage and falls in love with an orphan. And, and God, in a sense, seeing Israel in Egypt and seeing all of Israel's pain and possibility, just falls in love. And, and like those two adoptive parents in an, in an orphanage, there's all this reservoir of love that God has uh, for Israel, and Israel is the, 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 the blessed recipient of all of this rescuing love. I think it's, it's fascinating that God often speaks of Israel in the Old Testament as my firstborn son. God told Moses, the liberator of, of Israel from Egypt, to tell Pharaoh that, that, that Israel is his firstborn son. And so as we turn the pages, uh, the, the early pages of God's photo album of Israel, we see these beautiful pictures. Verse 3, it was I who taught Ephraim, uh, Israel, to walk. Um, there, there's the picture of God kind of leading Israel by the hand, as the New Living Translation puts it. Um, there, there's this picture of God, you can almost imagine God picking up Toddler Israel, when, when Israel falls and, and scrapes its knees, God is there to, to, to pick Israel up and bandage Israel. Uh, in verse 4, the New Living Translation says that, that, that all this is done out of love, that God, God led Israel with ropes of kindness and love. Now that sounds kind of strange, ropes of kindness. Uh, what, what does that mean? Or, or cords of human kindness, what does that make, mean? It, it makes me think of those little backpacks. Have you ever seen these little backpacks that toddlers wear? that have a little like soft rope on the end. And I know parents are really divided about whether that's a really cool thing or kind of cruel, but uh, like you're walking the dog. But I, I, I think about that, that I think of, of that as sort of a, a, a tender tether with the child. Like I'm, uh, I, I love you and I'm gonna, I'm gonna put limits for you and I'm gonna protect you. I'm gonna make sure that you don't get lost. And then just hear the tenderness at the, at the end of verse four. To them, to, Israel, to the Israelites, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek. And I bent down to feed them. Such incredible tenderness. The, the early pages of God's photo album with Israel, it's filled with snuggles, isn't it? It's filled with tender care. You almost wonder if God wanted Israel to look back on those early photos. You know, I know that um, when, I was a, when I was a teenager, I got really frustrated with my parents, and sometimes they represented all that was wrong in the world to me, and I, I, I wanted to die inside if either one of them ever showed up at my school when I was in junior high or, or high school. And I'm sure that given my age, that these days uh, I, I identify more with parents um, and even uh, grandparents, because I've become that lame parent uh, that uh, I was frustrated with when I was a teenager. Um, so teenagers, please take this with a, with a grain of salt. But, but have you ever seen those teenagers in an airport who are just being so rude to their parents? 
and their parents are getting ready to take them to like Disney World or Hawaii or something like that. And the parent in me just wants to say to the teenager, hey chief, uh, do you realize what these lame parents are doing for you? Do you realize what they have done for you? I mean, I know they're annoying. I know they're overprotective. And look at what your dad is wearing. I know, I know. I know those jokes. Oh, you know, I know all that. But, 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 but have a little perspective, won't you? Whenever I feel that way, Somewhere God in heaven is saying, yes, Larry, that is it exactly. That, God in heaven somewhere is saying, hey, chief, hey, Larry, uh, have some perspective. The next time you're frustrated with life, the next time you wonder what I'm up to, open up the photo album. Reflect on all those times you were barely conscious. <laughs> and I gave you birth, and I rocked you, and I diapered you, and I fed you, and I bandaged you, and I taught you, and I disciplined you, and I snuggled you, and loved you. I taught you to walk, Hosea says. I took you up in my arms. I fed you. I led you with cords of human kindness. I think God wants us to go back and remember. But unfortunately, for God's relationship with Israel, right, I mean, even in those early years, there were times of trouble. In fact, if you read between the lines or if you kind of look between the blank spaces of the photos, you can see the trouble. Because verse 3 tells us that all the time God was snuggling and caring for Israel, guess what? Israel did not realize it was I, God, who healed them. Israel did not acknowledge God as the source of all the good things that happened to her. And that leads to the second section of the photo album, uh, God's photo album of Israel and us, and that you might call the dark years, um, and, and it's going to vary for each one of us individually, but the dark years are years of unholy rebellion. You see, in the dark years, Israel stopped posing for God's photos. The photos are all of Israel's back instead of Israel's face. I think verse 2 captures that brutal truth. But the more they, Israel, were called by God, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, false gods. They burned incense reserved for the worship of God to statues, to, to images. God says, in this era of rebellion, I saw their backs. They ran from their heavenly father. They ran from the creator and they ran toward the, the tangible the visible. Israel was in full-scale rebellion. Israel is running from God, and Israel doesn't even realize how, how Israel's only hurting themselves. And if you've read this uh, whole book of Hosea, you know that in, in chapter 7 and 8 and 9 and 10, there, I mean, it's a dark section. There are all these heartbreaking images that are applied to Israel's sin. Chapter 7, Israel's, is, God, or Hosea compares Israel to a, a half-baked cake. It started off so well, but something happened to it. In chapter 8 of Hosea, um, Hosea says Israel is like a farmer who plants wind and reaps the whirlwind. I mean, what a picture for a futile life. It's like, hey, how was your year? What did you accomplish? Oh, well, we had a bumper crop of wind this year, 
I mean, what a waste. In these rebellious years, Israel will make one catastrophic mistake after another. And the biggest mistake is that they won't turn back to face God. It's a very important Hebrew word in the Old Testament. Uh, it's the literal uh, Old Testament word for repentance or a change of heart. And I want to teach it to you. It's called shub. Uh, if you tried to uh, transliterate it, if you tried to spell the Hebrew word with English letters kind of phonetically, uh, it would be S-H-O-O-B, shub. Say that with me, shub. Now, now for uh, a Hebrew youngster, uh, that was a simple word. That was a word you'd see in your, uh, in your kindergarten books. It was a, a pop-up word. And the word shub means to turn or return. It's kind, of, it's kind of similar, right? So I'm walking this way, and then shub, I turn back toward the one I was walking away from, or I return to the one that I was walking away from. It's a vivid picture, isn't it? Israel is walking away from God. Israel's running in the wrong direction. Israel's running toward danger. Israel's running toward futility, toward the whirlwind, toward fruitlessness. And God calls out, Israel, Israel, kind of to the back of Israel. Now, if Israel chooses to repent, that they'll shub, they'll, they'll turn around, they'll return to the God that they left. But what is so tragic in this middle section of the, the photo album is that in these middle years, Israel does not turn back. You know where they turn instead? Verse five says they turn to their enemy. They try to make political alliances with their enemy, Assyria. They, they, they cozy up to Assyria, this pagan nation, to see if Assyria will get them out of the political mess they're in. And guess how uh, Assyria will respond to their worship, so to speak. Assyria will eventually come in and destroy them. You can almost hear God's heartbreak, can't you, in verse seven? My people are determined to turn from me. I wonder if any parents in the room have ever felt this from a prodigal son or daughter. It's like they're determined to turn away. My people, God would say, pay lip service to me, but they go their own way. And I wonder how many times, friends, you and I do the same thing. In fact, I wonder what is Assyria for you and me? What is the Assyrian solution? Where do we tend to run when life gets scary, when our relationships are out of control? What is that human-centered solution we turn to? instead of turning back and returning to God. Maybe for some of us, it's turning on the charm. That's always worked in the past. Maybe for some of us, it's, it's bullying and intimidating because that seemed to kind of bring people in line in the past. Maybe for some of us, it's just living in fear and anxiety. It doesn't do any good, but I can't help it. Maybe some of you, it's, 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 or some of us, it's like throwing money at a problem. If I just throw enough money, I'll fix whatever's broken. Maybe for some of us, it's defaulting to workaholic tendencies. We're just going to power our way through this. If I can work hard enough, I myself will solve the unsolvable problem in my life. In other words, what do we do? We turn toward Assyria and away from God. We do everything but turn back to God in humility and in brokenness and in repentance. We do everything but humble ourselves before God. We do everything but shub. We do everything but turn back to God. Right? Dropping to our knees. Now what's so challenging about Hosea 11 is it seems like the latest pages 
in the photo album are painful pages. They're pages, as I've said, of Israel's back. There's the pages of Israel's rebellion, Israel's proud back and not her humble face. And so the question is, what's, what's God gonna do? <laughs> How's God going to respond? What would you do? What would I do? What would any parent do in the face of such rebellion? You know, all of us live with sort of stories of our extended families and, and these extended family stories that are passed on to us, they, they impact us. They're a part of our story. Even when we weren't there, they're, they're kind of a part of who we are. And I think the most riveting family story my mom ever shared with me was about my uh, grandfather, uh, Pietro Bajica. He was, he was Sicilian uh, as a teenager, immigrated through Ellis Island into New York City. He was one of the older kids in the family, which meant he had to work uh, and couldn't go to school, but he had to work so that his younger siblings uh, could go to school. Uh, and as a result, uh, he never learned to read. He was brilliant, but he never learned to read. Uh, he was a, a carpenter, he was a laborer, he was a wonderful man. When Pietro and his uh, wife were pregnant with their first child, um, Pietro's wife died in childbirth, as often happened in those early years of the 20th century. And so now Pietro's widowed with a newborn, uh, a little boy named Johnny, and he needed to work to support them both. Now he had a younger brother, Pietro had a younger brother and sister who were childless and, and they agreed to babysit Johnny so Pietro could go to work and, and earn money and this uh, brother of Pietro and his wife, childless, they really fell in love with baby Johnny. And tragically one day they tricked my illiterate grandfather into signing adoption papers and signing uh, away the parentage of Johnny. When my grandfather realized what happened, uh, he fought it in court, he fought his brother in court, but he was never successful in regaining custody of his son. Now Pietro eventually married my widowed grandmother. Uh, he was a wonderful stepfather to my mom, and he was a wonderful grandfather uh, to me and, uh, and all my siblings and cousins. But still, all of his life, Pietro had a hole in his heart my mom said he used to stand outside the playground just to watch Johnny swing on a swing set, just watch him from afar. Later in life, Johnny was told the story of his birth, but he was in a, in a terrible spot. And he felt so loyal to his adopted parents, and he kind of kept his loyalty with them. And you can't blame him in a way. Well, fast forward to my childhood. My grandfather's in the hospital with an illness that will eventually take his life. He's laying up in his hospital bed. He calls my mom to his side and he says he wants to write a letter to Johnny. My grandfather was Sicilian. Did I say that already? And uh, sometimes there's this Sicilian anger and as he dictates the letter, uh, the letter is just, these words are just filled with anger. My grandfather, who was a very loving man, was filled with such sorrow and pain and anger that he was ready to just close the book on his biological son. And my mom, who was supposed to be taking dictation of this letter in tears, just begged, begged him to reconsider. And she said, Pop, what if I try to reach out to Johnny, who's now a father himself? And she did, and there was this kind of awkward reunion in the hospital before my grandfather passed away. Now, growing up, like I say, you know, we're a product of the stories, right? We all have the stories of our extended family. We're a product of the stories. And I think this story affected me in ways that I never realized. And one of the most profound ways it, it's, it's impacted me 
is that a man with such love in his heart, Pietro Pachica, could be so hurt, so wounded, that he would want to write off the people in his life. Friends, as humans, we have a breaking point, don't we? When people walk away from us as humans, so often the temptation is to say, see ya, be that way. I'm done with you. As you read the story of Hosea, as you read the story of God and Israel, the the question of the day is, the question of eternity is, what will the heavenly father do as Israel walks away? Will God close the book on us? Will he file the photo album far away in an attic somewhere? Will the heavenly father move on? Maybe one of the reasons why I felt led to preach on Hosea is all about what the heavenly father does. He doesn't file the book away. He doesn't move on. He keeps faith in the present moment with us. And the present moment is always a space for grace. Your present moment, my present moment, regardless of our rebellions, there's a a space for grace. You know how in a lot of photo albums, maybe people just got tired or, or maybe the kid is young, but there's all these blank pages in the back just waiting for new photos. It's that way in the Heavenly Father's photo album of you. Right now, there are pages, there is space for moments of grace with God and you and me. You know, verses eight and nine are among the most moving statements of the Father's heart that you'll find anywhere in the Bible. God asks, how can I give you up? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma and Zeboim, cities near Sodom and Gomorrah, destroyed by God's wrath? And then what does God say in verse eight? In verse eight, he says, my heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. God does not deny righteous anger at Israel. God is a God of righteousness, holiness, and justice. But he says, my compassion and my grace are leading me to a different outcome. The ESV translation says, my compassion grows warm and tender. And so God resolves in verse 9. He says, I will not carry out my fierce anger, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. Israel will go through so many hard times, yes. She will suffer discipline. She will pay consequences for her sin, but God will not write off Israel. God will preserve a remnant. God will continue to pour out his grace because God is for us. And like we talked about last week from the Chronicles of Narnia, God is a lion. And God, as verse 10 says, will roar and call his children as we sang tremble. He will call his children to come trembling in awe as he leads us out, as he leads us out of captivity and toward the land of promise. God will lead a new Exodus. Only this time, God won't send Moses to Egypt to rescue his people. God will send his son. In fact, I think it's fascinating. When Matthew was telling us the story of Jesus, he actually quotes from this chapter. He quotes from Hosea chapter 11. You you may remember that when uh, Jesus was born, uh, the king was trying to to find out where this 
newborn king the, the wise men heard about and Micah prophesied about and they wanted to find where this new baby was and Herod wanted to find him so that he could eliminate him as a rival uh, to the throne. And so for a time, Joseph, Jesus' father, was, was warned in a dream and, and uh, he took the family to Egypt to kind of escape Herod. But then later, when King Herod died, once again, uh, he was called back uh, to the land of Israel. And then we read in Matthew chapter 2, verse 15, that this is where Jesus stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, prophet Hosea, out of Egypt I called my son. Originally, I called my firstborn son Israel out of captivity in Egypt. But now I'm calling Jesus. And Jesus is going to be the liberator that Moses could never have been. And Jesus is going to lead you out of captivity to sin and death and the devil. And he will do it because there are all these empty pages at the back of the photo album that Jesus wants to fill. Pictures of God's grace. God will do this because he's not like us. He's not sinful like us. His compassion does not have a limit like our compassion has a limit. And he's making space for more photos, more photos, more photos. So, so what do we do with a sermon like this? Some of you are saying, end it. And I will, I will. Uh, but what do we do with this? What do we do with this? The first thing is I think we practice the discipline of gratitude. In other words, I think God wants us to regularly turn through the pages of our photo album of our lives with God. How many times has God saved you from danger? How many times has God forgiven you? How many times has God led you to green pastures and still waters? Maybe right now God is calling you to, to look back on some of those holy memories and to say thanks. That's one thing we do with the sermon. I think a second thing is we practice the discipline of returning. We practice the discipline of shub, that new word I taught you. And so here's what I want to ask you. Where is it in your life right now where God is seeing more of your back than he is your face? Where is it that you've turned your back on God and you're running? Where is Assyria for you? That promise of human-centered help that you turn, that will ultimately let you down? Can you, where is it you hear God calling from behind and you turn? There's a, a discipline, a spiritual discipline that I practice from time to time. It's, it's called examine, E-X-A-M-E-N. Uh, and it's simply a way of replaying the past, say 24 hours or maybe the past week or maybe even the past season of your life and asking two questions. Where was God unusually present so I can say thanks? And where do I feel like I turned away from God so that I can confess? Where was God present and where did I turn away? It's a way for us to get in touch with this discipline of returning. Friends, the great expository preacher E.K. Bailey, Dallas's own E.K. Bailey once said about the book of Hosea, you can break God's heart, but you can't break God's love. And we've proven that true over and over and over. I wanna say to you this morning, God has not closed the book on you. God has turned toward you in Jesus Christ. How can we gratefully in this moment 
turn back toward God. Let's pray. Lord, our whole lives, you've been there loving us, Lord. In the good times and even in the hard times, Lord. You've never turned your face away from us. But oh Lord Jesus, so many times we've turned our face, our face away from you. And so this morning we confess that. We confess the many times we've turned toward Assyria and away from you. And we ask, Lord, for your grace to cover us. We ask for you to open our eyes so that with gratitude we can praise you, Lord. And we ask for the discipline of Shub to return, 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 return in humility and repentance to you. Lord, may your Holy Spirit do something in our hearts as we reflect on these truths in this moment as we pray in Jesus' name, amen.